Jenny Richardson is a cautious dating and relationship coach. She helps people date intentionally to find a healthy and loving long-term relationship without spending forever on the apps and show them how to have fun in the process. Hello, everybody. I'm so pleased to have here with me today, Jenny Richardson, who is a cautious dating coach. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm really good. So I'm very excited about talking about conscious dating because I think it's something that is quite interesting for a lot of people. So I'm wondering from your perspective, mm. how do you define conscious dating? Yeah, it's it well, it's a tricky one, but I think for me, conscious dating comes down to awareness because I think particularly when you're dating and also when you then venture into full-blown relationships you can get you can get easily reactive to the things that the other person is doing and particularly on dating apps i witnessed that firsthand when i was when i was using dating apps to date and meet people um yeah it was it was a bit difficult at times but having that awareness of like what I was feeling in any given moment and also then going a bit deeper and learning that awareness of what needed to be healed and brought up because I think quite often you can go through life in a lot of different aspects unaware of things that need healing for want of a better reason a want of a better word really and for me that was that was really helpful I thought dating brought up a lot of stuff that when you're on your own you'd be like I'm fine I'm really good and then it was like and then suddenly you're in quite intimate and vulnerable positions with people not physically sometimes it's just in the chatting stage but it can bring up a lot of stuff and if you don't have that awareness and that willingness to learn and kind of work on yourself then I think it can be a very difficult time. I think that's why a lot of people end up going, you know what, it's not worth it. And I'm actually very comfortable on my own. <laughs> mm. That's so interesting. And I, I will I will I would love to dive a bit deeper as the conversation carries on. But it is true that I think this is the phrase that I most hear from either my clients or my friends who say, you know, I love my life just as it is. Like I don't need the the headache and every time I hear mm. that phrase I hear I'm not willing to become vulnerable and get hurt so I would much rather just retract instead of putting myself out there yeah yeah and I think as well because with dating um and, and maybe not even just romantic relationships in any relationship that you have it's like it's the willingness of the other person as well because I found when I was dating, I was like, obviously, having done this work for a while, I was like, I'm all in to kind of figuring out the things that are stopping me or blocking me from getting what consciously what I want. And in and amongst life, you're going to come across people who aren't ready, aren't interested. And, and I think that when you do the work, I think you do tend to attract people that are more on the same path as you, but you are still going to come across people that aren't, aren't into it. And that, you know, that obviously that interaction with you, it's going to be, you know, we're all flawed humans, aren't we? And I think it's, uh, it's not an easy path always. So I think there's plenty of scope for, <laughs> for, for it being a steep learning curve, definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I think that um, if if we are aware of the fact that all our wounding was created in relationships, then taking responsibility and understanding that healing also happens in relationship um, could be the mm -hmm. way. But again, that, that requires for us to be willing to put in the effort of going a bit yeah. deeper and looking at the things that could potentially be quite hurtful to re-experience yeah yeah definitely because I think there's there's certainly what I've experienced where you know I can hurt someone and the intention wasn't there but the impact happened nonetheless the same do you know what I mean it's like I can have the best of intentions in the world and still hurt people 
So it's it's that willingness and that discomfort of knowing that I've that I've gone through dates and I've hurt people, disappointed them. You know, it's we all do it, but it's like, yeah, like you say, it's that healing that and learning that happens when you're in partnership with somebody else. Um, it can be uncomfortable, but I think, yeah, I think progress rather than perfection <laughs> is what I is what I aim for and what I advocate with people because you know there is no perfect is there and I think actually that would probably be quite boring <laughs> if we uh, you know we went through life and didn't change or grow in any way hmm. yeah I'm wondering um, how would you coach somebody who is afraid of even starting to date again just because they are uh, afraid of experience heartbreak or on the other side they would be maybe afraid to cause pain common mm. you know nobody especially when you're dating like second and third time round you know you're not 18 anymore and i think when you're when you start dating when you're really young you can be quite fearless because you haven't experienced that pain and by the time you get to my age i'm in my mid 40s it's like we've all been hurt you know you don't go through life and not have experienced that so i think just having in the first instance, really normalizing it. But of course, you don't, you know, you, you want to avoid pain and hurt. And, and sitting with that and having a bit of compassion for that, that of course, like, it's like putting your hand in a fire. And, you know, of course, there's that impulse to, to withdraw. But I think that is the first instance is just acknowledging that that's a really normal response. And particularly for people that have been on their own for a little bit, because the people I tend to work with um, are the ones that have had a relationship end for a variety of reasons. And they've taken that time to heal and maybe learn some lessons and learn to be on their own again. And so then there comes that kind of curiosity of like, I really, I feel like I really do want a relationship. But with that knowledge that sometimes that can lead to pain. So I think for me, I love the work that I do, the part that I like. I love all the practical stuff and the tips and things like that. But I also like that somatic work where it's like you hold those experiences, those painful experiences in your body and working with the body, learning to like, feel it and process through it. You don't have to talk your way through it because I sometimes find when you've had a relationship end, you're used to talking about it. Usually you've discussed it with friends and family and things like that. You've had conversations in your own head and, but that can only get you so far. Yeah. I think for me, a big part of it is just going, you know what? We don't have to use words. We can just experience what is happening in our body. And one of the first practices I do with people is that process of once we've set a goal, like ascertaining what it is that they want, is that process of just like closing your eyes and going like, imagine having this relationship. And what do you notice coming up in your body? And there's usually some, there's usually always something that comes up around the heart area, like a clenching or a contraction that's like that if we didn't give ourselves that space and stillness to just listen to what the body is telling us, we would just go through life and just think, oh, it's a bit of heartburn or something, <laughs> you know, and, and ignore it. And I think when you can feel those sensations in your body and then you can work to kind of integrate all of that, you know, residual pain from wherever it's come from. Because we don't, what I love about this is you don't even need to know where it came from. Sometimes you want to, you know, because sometimes it's interesting to understand it from a cognitive perspective. But I think I really do like that work that I did with Vita, which was the, the training program that I trained with for this. It was like learning that the body can also have a lot of wisdom in there as well. Yeah. And I love what you said. I think that 
the process for people who are highly intellectual is to try to make sense of things and we can get caught mm. up in this loop. And also, I think the more we speak about something, so for example, for years, I carried the, the story about my first relationship. Uh, relationship. I, I We met when we were 15, we were together for eight years. It was extremely impactful. And the more I reiterated the story, the more real whatever meaning I gave to everything that had happened became. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's way, like that well-worn path, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was com- it was continuously confirming, reaffirming the things that I believed about men, relationships, myself, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think that another piece that is really interesting is that I think many people are not really even aware of the fact that we have this tension, this constant tension, right? Between being in togetherness, wanting a relationship, and then wanting a sort of freedom and wanting to be loved in a certain way. And they coexist, mm-hmm. but they also have spaces where they are extremely disconnected, very, very, very much apart. Um, and when mm-hmm. you do the somatic work that you mentioned, then people can actually see that even if consciously they think they want a relationship, there are parts within them that are not completely on board <laughs> with having a yeah. relationship. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think as well, a big thing that comes up for myself, but also the people I work with, is that element of time. Is that when you when you were used to being on your own and you've got a full life, you know, you've got jobs and you've got family and pets and all of the fun stuff and responsibilities. It's like, I don't even know where I find time. So there can be that resistance from a, like we think it's a purely practical point of view is that I don't know where a relationship would fit in. And like being aware that, because again, when you start dating, when you're younger, you seem to have an abundance of time, don't you? <laughs> and nobody sits around with lots of spare time hanging around usually. So it's it's that is one of the stories that it's like actually to have a relationship and start to date, having to relinquish some of that free time or time that they would spend doing other fun things. And so there can be resistance there. There definitely was with me because it's just like, I do like just chilling on the sofa. <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to always do that if I'm with somebody, you know. There's, But it's it's so nice when I see it in somebody else see them when they get into a relationship and it's like actually you want to spend you want to give up that time to be with the other person but it doesn't feel like a sacrifice and I think it's important to have boundaries and things like that around what you need for your own self-care but also when you're in a really healthy relationship that there's those compromises that you make that don't feel like a negative yeah yeah yeah. So I I would be curious to rewind a bit your story and to mm-hmm. go to your initial story. So what brought you to doing what you're mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a bit um it's a bit of a windy path. I think I think for me I was I was talking about this with my coach actually um a few weeks ago and for me I'd always like way back when when I was a teenager I um I suffered quite a lot with anxiety and depression. And at the time, I wouldn't have called it that. I just knew I felt miserable. Um, But I think up until about my mid-20s, that was like, I wouldn't say a permanent state, but I did struggle with that quite a lot. And because of that, I I did take antidepressant tablets um, for a period of time. But I also learned a lot of things that helped me as well, like exercise is a massive thing for me, talking therapy, um, things like that. So I did a lot of self-help when I was quite young. And then it it worked. Do you know what I mean? I I felt so much better in my late 20s and 30s. And so with that background, um, I met my husband when I was 20 and we had a very like traditional you know, relationship, we met at university, we got married, we had kids and all of that stuff. And then my husband passed away when I, just after my 40th birthday, and we had two kids that were nine and 10 at the time, two girls. And obviously, 
that completely floored me. So for a few years, it was just getting through one day at a time, really, and supporting the kids to do the same. And after that, after that initial two-year period, which I think a lot of people say the first two years are horrendous, but it was then like, I came out of that a little bit and it was like, now what? And having supported, particularly my eldest daughter struggled because she was a little bit older and understood a little bit more. Um, and she'd got she'd gone through art therapy and things like that, and that really helped her. But I think that kind of drew me to helping kids with their emotions. So I initially trained as a, a coach, but to help especially children with their mental health and handling their emotions. And then when I started dating a couple of years later, I found that the skills that I taught kids about how to handle their emotions were actually really amazing at helping me when I dated. So I noticed that I was able to be a lot calmer and less reactive than like friends that were dating and also the people that I was encountering on the, on the dating apps. I was looking for a man and I found that not quite often, but regularly enough for it to be an issue that they were having emotional reactions to things and when I went on dates they would discuss it with me you know you end up talking about dating apps and what it's like and I realized that some of those skills that I taught kids which were dead simple but really effective were really helpful for me and so I think that's what got my curiosity going in that direction is that actually I really want to help adults too and you've got to pick something, haven't you? You can't help everybody. Um, but I realised from coaching kids as well that obviously the adults in their lives have a massive impact. The, the skills that the adults have of handling their own emotions and dealing with adversity and building resilience, that has a massive impact on your kids. So if you've got those skills, your kids tend to be pretty good at it too and vice versa. So I thought, actually, I can still help the kids by helping the adults. So it's, yeah, I think I went down the dating route just because I ended up being really passionate about that and wanting to help people have a positive experience because you only ever hear the horror stories, don't you, on the dating apps. Um, and, you know, there's, there's obviously, there's lots of ways of meeting people. You don't have to use dating apps, but it's such a convenient way of being introduced to people. And um, and I think that's why I tend to focus on that because it's such a popular way of, of dating these days. But I think I really wanted, this, this should be an enjoyable experience. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're, meet, you're potentially meeting people that you, you might want to spend the rest of your life with. And not everybody, obviously, is going to be a, a fit for you, but I think it should be a more fun experience than it is. And having not just happy relationships, but healthy ones as well, where there can be conflict and it doesn't have to be the end of a relationship that you can learn to communicate and, you know, give space to all of the things that are going to come up. Because, yeah, I just, I think, I think for me, I might be going off on a tangent here, sorry. Um, there was, there was a book that I read when I was in my early 20s and I think it was called The Happiness Project. And it was about like what makes people happy and one of the big things that came out of that book was that it was about progress like working towards a goal mm. rather than the end result of the goal the progress that you make towards it is actually where happiness lies it's not like the destination and i love that and i thought that's a really good analogy for dating is that dating is a process of finding a person that you want to settle down with. Most people I work with, they're looking for somebody to spend the rest of their life with. And that process of finding that person and learning about yourself as well and what is right for you, there can be a lot of joy in that, I think. And I think people are focusing on, on the end so much that they're missing, they're missing the fun and the joy that comes in that journey. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Of course, I'm very sorry that you had to go through this really challenging, tremendously tragic experience of losing your, your partner. 
it's really beautiful how you you made something beautiful come out of it in your wish to support your children and then other children to deal with mental health and just have yeah. a better experience of life and then translating that into into dating yeah yeah i think yeah it, it's still sad now i think but i also think i was incredibly lucky to have had that experience that relationship that i had and two wonderful kids as well and i think that that helped there was a lot of things i had to work on when i started dating in terms of like what it meant to move forward and find love again because there's this really romanticized idea certainly there was in my house and i do think it's a cultural thing as well that um when you lose somebody the idea that because my my grand grandmother my mum's mum lost her husband when she was in her mid-40s and um she never she never dated she never found anybody else and there was like a romanticized idea around that that i think i'd internalized that if you really love that person that you were married to you don't move on you never get over them and it was like even now i can feel it in my chest it's like i don't want that you know that even even when i find somebody wonderful that i want to settle down with and i fall madly in love again it doesn't mean anything about the relationship that i had with my husband because i kind of feel like he's always with me anyway that you the people that we lose that we carry them with us don't we and i think that gives me a, a big sense of comfort that he's always around mm. yeah for sure and it's it's really beautiful that you choose to change the story generationally also i think that this is something mm. that a lot of people carry um from from grief or from just wanting to make something meaningful out of that deeply mm -hmm. tragic experience and um not letting go and not not creating anything else in their life as a statement as a mm -hmm. testament to how important that relationship or that person was to them and i'm also thinking about the people who are no longer here with us whether that would be their wish for us. And I, I imagine that in many cases that wouldn't be their wish. Their wish would be for us to embrace life mm -hmm. and to connect with other people and to experience uh, love and kindness and deep connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's it's quite funny as well, because I imagine like um, you know, like if you if you're in a relationship and the person hasn't passed away. It's just like there's going to be a certain amount of jealousy if you move on. <laughs> so I had that kind of like that friction there. It's just like, would they want you to move on? And it's just like, well, if it, if I had been the one that had passed away, my husband was a wonderful person and a wonderful dad and husband. And I wouldn't want him not to share that with somebody else. And, it, it you know, it would hurt if I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I just think, yeah, I just think I'm sure he would have wanted that as well for me. Is that there was a there was a long period of mourning and time when I didn't want to be in a relationship, and then there started to come that time when it was like, "Am I ready?" And I think a lot of people experience that. There's that little question at the back of your mind about that idea of being ready, and I think that's the first kind of clue that you're ready to start looking at dating and it doesn't have to be big scary steps it can just be a little bit at a time yeah yeah and i also think that it's extremely personal and each individual has a very different relationship mm -hmm. to that and i think that, that that's why um coaching is so important and you supporting people on this journey because they get to experience what it feels for them to have gone through the process of a breakup, mm -hmm. for example, and what they make out of that. And um, I think that when when a relationship um, ends or uh, <laughs> transcends or just metamorphosizes, apart from the actuality of, yes, it ended, we're not going to spend time together anymore, and that intimacy is kind of dissolving, 
there is also that aspect of the identity. Um, who am mm. I now and how am I re- reconstructing my identity now that I am no longer a part of this partnership? Um, and maybe a lot of mm. people, I think they are losing many spaces that have been secure in a certain way, like a group of friends, like family reunions, um, familiar places. So would you speak to that in terms of how are you supporting people to heal and also become more authentic or clear about who they are um, under the lens of dating? Yeah. Well, I think that space in between a relationship ending and you know, starting to date again. I think that is a massive space where we learn a lot about ourselves because quite often in a relationship, whether it's healthy or not, you you are a different person in that relationship. I think every person that we are in a relationship with brings out something quite unique in us. And I think, I remember I was I was coaching a gentleman um, on his relationship with his wife and they were having a lot of difficulties and he knew my background. He knew that I'd lost my husband. And, and I remember once saying to him, I think that you're grieving for this relationship that you thought you had and what you thought your future was going to look like. And that kind of seemed to give him permission. This is grief. It's coming out as anger, but you're experiencing grief and coming from somebody. Because I think certainly in in the UK, grief is talked about just in the context of somebody having died. And I think opening that up and actually grief is about loss. So it's not just about, it's just not reserved for somebody like me who has lost somebody. It's to do with the loss of a relationship and and that relationship ended up carrying on and continuing and getting much more healthy which is lovely but it's a different relationship than the one he had so it's like you say there's that change in relationships that I think just giving people permission to grieve because when you label it that I think they go oh right this isn't a rush like nobody said to me in the aftermath of my husband dying you need to hurry up and get over this. It's like, and some people have had that said to them when a relationship ends because of a breakup. And it's like, everybody's on their own path with this. It's, there's no timeline and, you know, you might, you might want to speed it up, but it's, it's like allowing it, allowing yourself to grieve for that, whatever it is, I think allows people to relax a little bit and go, okay, this isn't a rush. So, I think for me, that is a big part of it. I'm sorry, I think I've maybe gone off on a tangent a bit there. But yeah, and I think, I think when you're dating, I think you do have to have a certain amount of resilience and know who you are. So I think having that gap between a relationship ending and starting to date again allows you to figure that out. Like, who are you when you're on your own? You're not having to please anybody else or make any compromises this is just about you and that can be really empowering um, for people to learn who they are when they're on their own because quite often we haven't been on our own for extended periods of time as an adult and I think it was a it was a big thing it was like yeah like part of your identity is married up to being in that partnership and then like you say who are you when you're on your own it's like, yeah, that can be a really interesting stage that people can get really comfortable with. But initially, it can be really, really challenging because, yeah, you spend so much time in a relationship. And it's a bit like a dance. I would say my relationship with my husband was mostly healthy. We had a very good relationship and, and good communication. But there's like, yeah, when you don't have that support anymore, when you're just doing stuff on your own, figuring out. There were stories I had about myself, you know, because in a partnership we have like different roles within that. And he did certain things and I did certain things. And it was like, suddenly it was like, oh, you can do this stuff. 
you know, it was quite an empowering time as well to learn. I've got these skills, just didn't need to use them before, you know. And, and I think a lot of people find that when they're transitioning from a relationship to being on their own and then out the other side as well. You realise that who you are in that next relationship is going to be very different. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that, uh, well, Leila teaches in, in conscious dating, and I think it's something that probably spread around the dating world, that actually the end of a relationship, handling that in a healthy way and integrating that in a healthy way is the beginning of your next relationship. And maybe the next relationship won't start mm. for another 20 years, or who knows, like 10 years or two years. Yeah. It's just what you made out of out of that um, rupture. And it's it's extremely traumatic. A breakup is extremely traumatic on so many on so many levels. And losing a person is, I I, I honestly I can't think of anything more traumatic than that subit loss of somebody that you deeply loved. But then again, as you said, um, and again, that's that's why I'm so grateful for 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 the existence of coaches because you get to be accompanied in you know as if you are lost in the dark and there is absolutely no light and you have no clue <laughs> where you are who you are how you're supposed to deal with all this and then you've got somebody yeah. who takes you by the hand and allows you to let go of the shoots that probably are not even your own shoots it's just a lot of things that have been inculcated media our personal histories the family history society and so on and so forth and then you get to emerge as maybe a, a version that is more suitable, like more in alignment with the kind of life that you want to design, the kind of relationship that you want to design, the kind of partner that you would actually mm -hmm. enjoy being in, in a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's so much that you learn from a relationship. I mean, I think we generally accept that we tend to learn more from negative experiences. I think there's that need to kind of, delve into it and so that we don't make the same mistake again but i also think that every bad relationship if you want to label it a bad relationship because it ended it had its good parts and one of the things that i love to do with people is to when they're ready is to look back and reflect not just on the one that's happened recently but all of the past relationships and what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the person that you want to be and the person that you want to be with? Um, because I think having that awareness, rather than just running away from the pain and from whatever they've identified was wrong in that relationship, it's really helpful to look at some positive things too. Because that can be quite healing in itself. Because I think there can be this story that, that time's been wasted in a relationship because it didn't last forever when actually like i said before i touched on it was that you're you're a particular person with them they bring out a certain essence in you that somebody else won't and so there's a, a grief that goes with that but like another relationship will bring out something different in you and all of those parts are within you but it's it's just so nice when in relation with another person and that can be platonic, it can be romantic, it can be family relationships, but they, each person brings out something different in us. And yeah, but I think it's nice to see that no, no experience is usually fully negative. There's usually positive elements within it too. Certainly when we talk about relationships. Yeah. And I love the yeah. invitation to reframe uh, what ending a relationship means. Because um, I think that for a lot of people, a divorce or a breakup equals failure. And mm. um, I've heard this, I think, more on the side of women. And maybe it makes, not maybe, for sure, it makes complete sense. The worst thing that a woman can tell you is you wasted my time. Because what a woman does, she invests fertility years <laughs> in a relationship yes. and there is an yeah. uncommunicated expectation 
And when things don't go according to plan or they don't find fulfillment in a marriage, a lifelong partnership with children, then taking responsibility fully for it, because we all play our part, I think, in, in, in the relationships that you are co-creating, then it's just easier to say, hey, you wasted my time. Mm. And maybe it happens on, on, on the side of men too. But I really, I really love this reframe of it didn't, it's not a failure because it didn't last forever. It was mm-hmm. a phase. And if you can honor that and how you, who you became in the container of that, of that phase, mm-hmm. then you can also create a different relationship based on everything that you took as gifts from that, from that phase of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the idea of seasons as well. Because I think when you use the word phase, it was like, I, I, I remember that like when I was a kid, it was, oh, it's just a phase. <laughs> it can have it can have some negative connotations, yeah. but it, it doesn't have to, it, in the true context of the word, it doesn't. But I, I do like the word seasons because it, like you say, it's just like for me with weather, we have a lot of weather in the UK and very definite seasons. So it's, it's lovely to think of life like that, that there was... Hmm a season for each kind of iteration of you and like you say what you what you bring out of those relationships yeah so i'm curious about certain topics that maybe you recognize in many of your clients are there some topics Mm -hmm. that clients bring to table with predilection yeah i think um i think the first one is always Am I ready? I tend to I tend to have clients who have had a period of time on their own um, rather than people that come out of a relationship and start dating straight away. So, um, yeah, I think that that, that that tends to be part of that first conversation is, am I ready? And what does that even mean? Um, because I think being ready is a decision, essentially, is that it's like it feels quite brave to to put yourself out there and take that first step i was saying the first step is the hardest so i think those things always come up early on and another common theme that i find is the is the healing part there's like resistance within us to an unknown future even one that we we really want cognitively and consciously we've thought I definitely want a relationship and this is what I want it to look like there is always some resistance there because otherwise we would have it you know we would be out there and doing the stuff and enjoying it so I think for me bringing up those things that people are completely unaware of is it's really lovely because I think even though it's not always a completely comfortable experience you know, there's a reason that we're resisting things, but bringing it up in that kind of safe space of a, of a coaching session um, and being able to show people this is what is holding you back. Um, yeah, I think it's like really powerful, but it's also very rewarding for me as well. I think having having done it myself, <laughs> I know I know the the value of it. But even then, you know, there's resistance in me sometimes with sort of going deeper with stuff and having, you know, being able to facilitate that for other people is really lovely. Mm, yeah. I'm curious about dating apps and um, whether I am, I have this assumption <laughs> that as much as they are available and like just easier to use, <laughs> there is also a sort of I don't know if shame is the word or a sense of awkwardness because people would like to tell a different story than, oh, we met on an app. Um, (laughs) It doesn't sound very romantic, does it? Right? Yes. (laughs) But then again, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's very common for people to meet that way. Um, So, but I do remember when I first started dating, there was like this, oh my God, what if I what if I see somebody on there from work or something like that? And it was like, like you say, there's an element of like a little bit of shame associated with it, embarrassment. 
Yeah. But it's like I realised I'm quite a home bird. I do like my own company in my own house. And I very rarely left the house without the kids. And when I wasn't running around trying to do a million different chores and jobs and things like that. So it's like I was never putting myself in a situation where I was going to be open to meeting somebody. And I do think the dating apps to a certain degree have, they've made it very easy to meet people. Um, I don't think they're great at a lot of things, but dating apps, they do expand your pool of people that you come into contact with. And, but I think it can also make you, I, I mean, I'm being a, a little bit sexist here because quite often it's like this idea, I had this fantasy that I wanted a man to see me and to ask me out and be inspired to ask me out. But that's really nerve wracking for a man to, to, they don't even know if you're single, you know, and I think the dating apps have made it a little bit safer because everybody on the apps, mm. you know, you're, you're single and you're looking for a relationship. There may be some debate about that. <laughs> <laughs> but as a general rule, if you're on the dating apps, you know, you, you are going to have to filter through some people that perhaps are not single and are not really up for a relationship. They're just there to have a bit of fun. But assuming that most people on there are looking for the same types of things as you are in the general sense, I think it just makes it a bit safer, not quite as vulnerable to ask people out. And yeah, I think I think there is a little bit of shame, maybe, but I think I don't know the shame. Shame feels like a strong word, but I think that yes, there was definitely some trepidation when I started dating, and I know a lot of clients say the same thing. It's just like, what if mm. I see people like exes on there? What if I, yeah, people from work? I did have a funny story when I first went on and thankfully I had a good relationship with my boss, but I went on the dating apps and her ex-husband liked me straight away and messaged me. And I was, I was like literally sat next to her and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so it's things like that where you're like this, it, it, there's a scope for a lot of awkwardness. And so, but I think actually in that you get a lot of practice of like handling those big emotions and like the shame, disappointment, embarrassment, you get a lot of practice handling those emotions, being aware of how you're feeling and having difficult conversations with people. And I didn't always do that well. I feel like I have had a steep learning curve on the dating apps myself in the early days because I had this thing where I didn't want to hurt anybody. So I didn't, I didn't completely tell the truth. And I've realized when I was dating, some people like... I wouldn't want somebody to be really blunt with me, but some people prefer that and, and actually need it. If there's any room for misinterpretation and stuff like that, it's on the dating apps when you're just texting. You know, it's the scope for misunderstandings is massive. So you get a lot of practice about communicating much clearer and yeah, and learning to just just be very clear about what you need because I think I was trying to do it softly and that actually wasn't serving me. It wasn't serving the other person. And it just got me into very awkward conversations with people. So I think, I think it's, I find that the fun part of dating is that going in there, knowing you're going to have it, but also this is, you're going to get a lot of practice so that when you're in a relationship with somebody that you really care about, you've had that practice because I certainly found that having been on my own for a little while, I was out of practice of like talking to somebody and negotiating and setting boundaries. And those are all skills that you need in a really healthy relationship. So, yeah, I just think dating allows you to practice it all. <laughs> Yeah, and from this from this standpoint, I think it's absolutely amazing. It's also a beautiful filtering 
mechanism. Um, I remember mm-hmm. that I, I, so I, I, I follow this guy. His name is Alex Formosi and him and his wife, they met on a, on a dating app and they are American. So of course cu- the culture maybe is different, but I, I remember something that she said because I live, um, in a, in a culture where, well, dating is not, is non-existent. <laughs> let's, let's put it like that. Um, and there are different cultures around the world that have different relationships with, with dating. And I remember what she said, and she said that she was working in this gym, she was a sales manager, and her boss told her that she, she was complaining about not being able to find a guy and wanting a relationship. And her boss told her, this is really peculiar because you are a sales manager and you are great at numbers and dating is just another numbers game. And he told her, you should just <laughs> swipe, swipe, swipe. And then you have like all these experiences and the more people you meet, the more the chances of meeting the right one, the appropriate one for you increase. And I found it yeah. really interesting <laughs> because I think that a lot of people live with the idea that if it's meant to be, it's going to happen. <laughs> and we all stay in front of Netflix and <laughs> have our popcorn and we never go out of our house. Yeah. Like, well, it's Why is happen, he not clearly. knocking on the door? <laughs> God is working for me. God is my matchmaker. Yeah. I don't have to do much. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, that would be lovely. I, re- I do. I do remember having like fantasies in my head of like somebody just coming up, knocking on the door or bumping into me in a coffee shop or something like that. And it was just, of course, that's possible. But I think, the ch- like, I like that idea of the numbers game and it doesn't sound very romantic, but it is, you've got to meet enough people so that you, because the important part to me is you you then recognise when it's when there's a good one, when there's somebody that's a good fit for you. And, and I think I definitely advocate the talking, like texting quite a few people at the same time. Not that doesn't resonate with everybody. And I think it's important that when certainly one of the processes I do with people in the conscious dating is helping them come up with their like dating rules, their dating code, how are they going to handle certain situations and what feels morally right to them? And but I think something the figures are something like sixty to seventy percent of people on the dating apps are talking to more than one person at a time. So I always say, assume that that's happening until you've had a conversation and agreed that it is or it isn't going to happen. Because I think otherwise, if you put all of your eggs in one basket at a time, you put a lot of pressure on that one person that you've potentially not even met yet to be the one. And rather than when you're dating a, like two or three people in, you know, at the set, not at the same time, but, you know, in quick succession, if you're dating a few and talking to a few people at a time, you can be a little bit more relaxed and not putting so much pressure on each individual date. You can, because when you're relaxed, you can, you can share a bit more of yourself. Mm-hmm. You notice things about the other person. Because I think a big complaint for a lot of people is what's a red flag? What's a green flag? And I think when, when you're dating just one person at a time, you can talk yourself out of a lot of, or justify a lot of these flags being either good or bad. Because you, I don't know, you might find them attractive, or they've got a, you know, they've got a good job. They 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 seem to really like you. They give you lots of compliments, and you can get caught up in that. Whereas if you're dating a couple of different people at the same time, I think it just gives you that ability to kind of relax and lean back and notice more about the person. Um, and that doesn't resonate with everybody, but it's something that definitely worked for me. I think if you're if certainly if you're a bit more on the anxious attachment side of things that can be really helpful because again because you can you can attach to somebody quite quickly which isn't helpful you need to be able to give the person and the relationship a bit of breathing space so that you can discover a little bit more about the person before you decide is this a good fit for you 
Yeah. And it's a way of avoiding idealization because I think that we are all prone to mm -hmm. idealizing the people who manifest interest in us and are curious about mm -hmm. us. And then another aspect is I think that we are also concerned to pathologizing each other. <laughs> it's like, oh, he has a lot of red flags. Well, a lot of people do, you know, like everybody has red flags and everybody has green yeah. flags. It's more about understanding that certain red flags are non-negotiables for you. And mm. some people are indeed pathological and then, yeah, you really need to <laughs> carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's looking at the whole picture, isn't it? Because mm. like you say, we all have traits. I've noticed in me that I do develop feelings quite quickly. Mm -hmm but also I can lose feelings quite quickly as well. So that's helpful information to know about myself and that awareness that, you know, the other person can be a bit slower um, or if I match with somebody that's equally as fast, mm -hmm. that's not overly helpful either, you know, because, but I think having that awareness of what your patterns are can be so, some of the patterns are not great. Like I'm not proud of that one. <laughs> But it's like, because I think it can, yeah, it can, I can develop them quicker than is, what would you say, healthy or just develop them quicker than the relationship would naturally have. And I think I have that awareness now. So I, yeah, I'm aware that I can just sort of like, let's just take this slow. This isn't a race. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, and again, I think it's that romantic idea I had in my head was that that idea of being swept off my feet or being the one who sweeps other people off their feet is really romantic. And so I'm picking some of those stories that we have from way back, um, you know, that somehow a relationship isn't, I don't know, isn't as romantic if it moves at a slower pace. And yeah. And when I realized that, it was like, all oh, right, okay, I just need to move a little bit slower. Allow, like, the head to catch up with the heart. And because I think as well, it can, it, it's not healthy for the other person either. I think if they're, um, if they're seeing my feelings developing faster, and it can kind of encourage them along. Because I've, I think I've experienced being on the on the receiving end of it too, where you're kind of bowled over by somebody's, you know, feelings for you, and without having that detachment of going, well, actually, how do I feel about you? Um, I think I think honestly, it's been such a huge learning curve, and I think seeing those patterns in myself, it makes it a lot easier to to recognize it when it's happening in clients, but also in the people that I dated as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> quite a learning curve. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful. And may I reframe something for you? Because mm -hmm. I, I, I feel that you are somebody who has such an open, giving, beautiful heart. And I think that sometimes this, what 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 you would call as feeling too soon too much may be an expression of how willing you are to love and how willing you are to open your heart and then yes it it is um tempered by your self-awareness and understanding that it is a pattern mm -hmm. some some people have it as a you know seduction mechanism which is love bombing because love bombing uh creates intimacy yeah. faster and it's it might not be the the actual intimacy it might be a reflection or a portrayal of intimacy because that's how certain people get to mm. yeah get closer to to people by by increasing that intimacy but i think it's also just mm. a sign of humanity you know like we all crave uh, for that and then mm. we were brought up with the you know the the fairy tales and the, all the yes. movies that ended when people got married or got together and then we didn't know what happened afterwards because that's when <laughs> the story started yeah. yes yeah 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 thank you for that because i i mean i think i have certainly judged myself for maybe what how I viewed it at the time was like leading people on because I fell fast and then I I fell out fast 
because obviously in that early stage is where there's all that positive projection going on on both sides. You know, you only bring your, your best game, don't you, at the beginning, that whole um, honeymoon period. And, and I think you can't quite believe everything in that honeymoon period, but it is a, it's a wonderful sort of period to go through, isn't it? But it's, uh, <laughs> it's just having a little bit of compassion, I think, like you say. It's a nice reframe that to think, yes, it's about that being open-hearted, but being responsible as well. And I think that's what I learned um, in those early stages of dating as well. Yeah, and I think it's beautiful because you also get to pace other people who could have a similar way of being in the world, aware or unaware of of this pattern of, you know, opening very fast and then maybe losing in interest when they feel they recognize some, yeah, maybe like a disorganized uh, attachment style. When, oh, now people mm. are actually interested in me, then I'm not interested anymore. Or it could also just be, I think about this a lot because we we tend to try to put ourselves and our feelings and other people in in these boxes that makes it easier for us to understand and make sense of the world and of our relationships. But I think that things are a bit more complex than that. And I, I think that the only way to navigate it is to to be honest, to be honest with yourself um, first and foremostly and, mm. and just decide whether that relationship is worth going through the effort of understanding why is it playing out like this and also what the Gottmans are talking about, right? Like it's not about not having conflict. It's about un understanding how to create repair so that you deepen the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah. I, I experienced this um, and I was really proud of myself actually. You know? <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> proud, but like in the process, I was really proud because that's where I saw the growth. So I could recognize when somebody's love bombing me, I could call it out. I was triggered by it. I expressed it. And it was such a beautiful opportunity of actually deepening and understanding why it is, why it was triggering for me, because I recognized that it was a speeding of intimacy and it, it didn't feel true and honest in any way. It just felt like somebody was mm -hmm. trying to make my heart open by seducing me into something that yeah. was, not, <laughs> was not really there. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think as well, what, because all of these terms, I, I, I'm a bit in conflict about some of these terms because there's like breadcrumbing and ghosting and, and and love bombing and it and it makes it sound very dramatic but but i love the fact that it puts a name to something so it allow it reassures you that it's it's not just you that this is happening across you know lots of different continents and countries and i think that was that was quite reassuring for me but also that a lot of people are not doing it as like a conscious intentional manipulation and that's not to forgive it because the impact is still the same but i think for me when i realized that some people were doing it and they didn't even realize mm -hmm. why in themselves and also the impact it was having on the other person um so I think that that allowed me to have a little bit of compassion for myself, but also for the other person. Because I think sometimes um, you can you can attribute meaning and intention behind things, and that somehow makes it worse. Mm -hmm. It makes it a harder experience that somebody's done this intentionally to hurt you, and 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 it allowed me to be a little bit more forgiving of. Mm -hmm myself as well because i've i've had some like you say different red and amber flags in myself that i've that i didn't like and and i've worked on but it allowed me to also have forgiveness for other people who were doing the same thing um yeah i think i think there's a lot of opportunity for growth isn't there and um when when you're when you're dating because it's, it's very vulnerable <laughs> yeah brings yeah. up a lot of stuff and and again i think that it's about sharing your experience and trying to not put the labels on other people you know like oh you have a disorganized attachment style that's what you're why you're doing what you're doing and just say hey this feels like we're going a bit too fast i need a bit more time to make sure mm -hmm. that what i'm feeling towards you is really what i'm feeling and that i'm not 
misleading you or that I'm not opening myself in a direction that I'm actually not able to sustain long term. And it's it's all through the work of <laughs> conscious yeah. uh, conscious dating, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think I think as well. One thing I noticed with me is that I th- we touched on this a bit at the beginning with like wanting to think things through and understand things and process it cognitively is that when I was experiencing conflict in a relationship or a disagreement, it was like I wanted or like I was experiencing some strong emotions and I didn't know what to make of it. It's like I felt like I had to almost solve it in me first before I brought it to the other person. And one of the one of the nicest things that I've learned over the last year or so is noticing when I'm having a strong emotion and not having to fix it or um, like work through it before I bring it to the other person. I, I had I noticed I had difficulty with being flawed <laughs> and not having it all figured out. And actually now when I'm when I'm feeling like upset about something, it's okay to just say that. Because that first recognizing how you're feeling is like a really first basic step, but it's it's not easy. I think we've been, you know, we've all been brought up in households and cultures where, you know, feelings weren't discussed as much. And I think that's starting to change with my kids' generation. Um which is a really good first step. Um, but yeah, learning to just name emotions, which sounds so basic, but that it'd be okay. I'm really struggling with this. I'm feeling quite upset. It's like, I don't have to fix it. The other person doesn't have to fix it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be about them or about me. It's just about sharing how we're feeling. And that can be a really healing in itself. But I don't have to have all the answers when I'm in relationship with somebody. We can figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And I love I love that invitation. And I think for the people who are listening, something that I recognize in, in my clients is this story of I need to integrate and heal so that I can have this beautiful relationship. And of course, mm-hmm. taking responsibility and starting your own process is is beautiful, is is very honorable. And also there is never an end to the process so just yeah getting out there and using the opportunity of dating to heal and integrate and show up better and hopefully find somebody who is on a similar path who is using the opportunity of dating um as a way of personal growth and um seeing aspects that they weren't really aware Mm -hmm. of and integrating them and loving them um even the ones that are less desirable (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i think i think one big thing and i think we probably attract clients that have similar things to work on than we did and definitely that idea i would never i would never have labeled myself a perfectionist i had a i had an older sister who was brighter than me very academic her work ethic when she was young, I would say my work ethic now is very good, but when I was younger, I she was very organised and dedicated to her studies. And my sister was the perfectionist. So I think because she was labelled that, I never saw myself as that. But as an adult, I've realised that I have these really perfectionistic tendencies. And I think a lot of women do, that we've got to have it all figured out and look perfect and act perfect and actually it was really helpful to notice that's the story that I had going on but also take that off and go you know what I don't need to yeah it's that actually having somebody that realizes they've got imperfections we're all flawed and that's half of the fun is the journey like you said the journey like you don't have to be fully healed because we're never going to be um so just enjoy that journey and who you get and who you choose to do that journey with. Because I think a big thing that came out for me when I went, I started dating again about 18 months ago and I had a lot more clarity 
having gone through this conscious dating process myself, I had a lot more clarity about what I was looking for. But also, one key thing I've noticed is I wanted somebody that had a growth mindset around sex, but also around emotions and healing and all of that. Somebody that was, if they weren't doing the work right now, they were open to it. Mm -hmm. And it was having that on my my list of non-negotiables was like, it was interesting that the people who came to me were already on a similar path. It was almost like a bit magnetic mm-hmm. and that, yeah, that people who had similar mindsets were, were drawn to me and that's who I connected with on that time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jenny. This was wonderful. I always love speaking about these subjects and it was a delight to have you on. Um, where yes, can we find you. you online? Yeah, well, my website is jenrichardson.co.uk and you can also find me on Instagram. I'm jen underscore the dating coach and I have lots of like practical tips but also healing and all of that good stuff on there and you can connect with me there. Yeah. And all the links are going to be in the notes of the show. So for everybody who wants to tune in. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope that this was enlightening. (laughs) Thank you so much. The best way to support the Healer Hub podcast is to review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share it with your people. Thank you so much. Deeply grateful for your support.